For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. I'm sick with this, I'm sick with this. Since you watch the button, large judgment. My own sweet down, didn't teach what I found. I didn't recognize you for this anymore. I don't wanna be defeated, I don't wanna be defeated, I don't wanna be defeated, I don't wanna be defeated. Hi! You made it! Thanks for coming! Nice to see you! And all that stuff. Hello and welcome! To another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome, a podcast where I, your host, speak to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. Oh man, I am just in the best mood today. Had an absolutely incredible weekend hanging out at Cinderfest 2.0, Norfolk, Virginia. That's right. Members of Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club, my sinners, we got together for an extravaganza down in Virginia. We were rolling like 50 strong. We had such, it was just, it couldn't have went any better. Steve from Punchline showed up. We did a live episode. It was amazing. Shout out to Steve, the best dude. That episode is going to be out next week. Don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. But seriously, all the support that's been given to me for this podcast over whatever it's been now since we launched the All Access Club over two years now has been absolutely incredible. And to see people show up literally from all over the world just to hang out together, to hang out with me. I played some tunes. We had some stand-up comedy, some great food, some even better conversation. It was just so, so perfect. So yes, maybe you want to come to the next Interfest wherever we have it. I'm thinking maybe the next one somewhere on the West Coast. Um, check it out though. LeadSingerSyndrome.com slash all access. It's as little as $6 a month and you get, of course, access to events like this, but a whole bunch of bonus episodes, bonus content. And of course, really, it is what keeps this show going. Uh, yeah, it's an independent podcast, so I need all the help I can get. Thank you very much for an absolutely incredible weekend. Now, this episode, this week, right now, it's a good one. It's a great one. Johnny Frank, formerly of Attack Attack, currently of his pseudo solo project, Bill Murray, is here. This is great. And you talk about a guy who got his start very young. He's only 28 years old, but he's been doing this a long time, and wow, it is just so, so crazy to hear some of these stories and some of this insight that this guy has, and he's got his head on straight, though, let me tell you, and what a good dude, and thank you, Johnny, for taking the time to do this. In other news with me, there is a new slash old Silverstein album out. We recorded some old songs. It's called Redux. We went back, we literally re-recorded it. It isn't a remaster or a remix. 
We went in, we replayed the drums, we did the guitars, I sang all the vocals, I screamed all the vocals. We recorded in a really nice studio. It sounds amazing, and really, these songs just needed an update. And I'm pleased to announce the record actually charted on a bunch of charts. I think it was like in the top 100 albums or something, which is pretty cool for a record we put out completely ourselves. No help from a label. It wasn't even sold in any stores anywhere. So very, very cool. I want to thank everyone. Everyone who checked out the record during the first week, whether you bought a vinyl, whether you just listened to it on Spotify, it's all good. But if you haven't checked it out yet, please do anywhere that you listen to music. It's called Redux. Also, tonight, Toronto Maple Leafs, Boston Bruins, Game 7. Oh, I'm nervous about this one. Very, very nervous. If you don't hear from me for the next few weeks... I'm in my bed, sob crying. Uh, Yeah, I don't feel great about this, but come on, Maple Leafs. Come on, Maple Leafs. We need to get out of the first round. Interesting tidbit about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know we got a few hockey fans out there, but the last time the Maple Leafs won a Stanley Cup, which is the championship in hockey, was 1967, which is a long time ago, you know? It's a long time. But what people fail to realize is back in 1967... There were only six teams. It's been a rocky road. It's been a rocky, rocky road, but tonight's the night. Come on, Leafs. Go, Leafs. Go. We need it. All right. Let's get into this week's episode and my conversation with Johnny Frank. What's up, man? I'm here with Johnny Frank. Dude, how are you? Doing good, man. Just chilling in the studio, hanging out, uh, getting ready for this album to drop. Yes, Bill Murray. Uh, do you say it like that? Do you say Bill Murray or do you say Bill Murray? Uh, Bill Murray, just like the guy. Just like the guy. Um, <laughs> that must add to some confusion when you're explaining um, this to people. I think mainly what it does is it just kind of hits like people think it's some weird pronunciation. And then when I say it, they're like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's just, it's just phonetic. I'll admit when I first saw it written down, I I didn't make the connection until I was like, Oh, wait a second. And then, yeah. And now I get it. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. And I, I, uh, I guess we'll just jump in right there. You know, the music you've, you know, been making with this project over the last, you know, few years and there's a lot of output. Um, it's, <laughs> it's not like humorous, you know, there's no like, it's serious music yet. You seem to have a real, you know, humor about, I mean, just in the name, you know, I mean, Bill Murray, I just picture the guy in my head and I laugh, you know, um, and then of course, like the way, you know, you talk and, and some of the things you do, there's a lot of humor involved in the music but just not in the music if that makes any sense yeah for sure I mean I wanted the idea behind the band name was it made me laugh and it's like I like band names that have an immediate payoff like when someone tells you it oh it's the name of your band Bill Murray funny you know it's already a positive experience and they haven't listened to the music yet so that's kind of my thing I mean mainly above it all it just makes me chuckle (laughs) but the uh yeah, that's kind of who I am as a person. Like right. I'm, 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 I'm pretty funny on the outside, but then you know, there's a lot of darkness going on. <laughs> yeah, under I the surface. So. Well, right. I mean, and that's. I think that that's what, you know. I think that's always been uh, something that people have done. They put out something super serious, and then they'll give it like a funny title, or they'll, you know, when they promote it or tweet about it they'll write it in a way that's sort of like either self-deprecating or just completely unserious and it's almost like that takes the edge off putting yourself out there right that's got to be the the psychological reason right yeah i I call it the comedy blanket like exactly yeah it just kind of it takes like the punch away from it yeah I i feel like it takes the burden off of the person receiving the information just enough to kind of jump in totally man Totally. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so much to talk about, dude. Um, but let's start with this new project. This new record is coming out on Friday. Um, 
I'm sorry I lost count. How many records is, has your Bill Murray project put out now? Well, this will be eight. Like, that's a lot, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, where do you find the time? I mean, not just the time to put it all together because all the records sound really good and they, they have a lot, you know, a lot of layers. It's not just like you're shitting it out with an acoustic guitar. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? There's a lot of... of obviously work that goes into this but but the creativity too i mean where do you pull that from are you just constantly thinking about it constantly recording constantly working on it yeah i'm kind of one of those people who's incredibly obsessive and so you know i'll get into an album and that's pretty much all i think about for you know five six months on end interestingly enough with this record uh i'd written an entire record before uh, that was going to be this record, but I just realized it's not really what I wanted to do. So I scrapped it and wrote another one, uh, a couple months ago, but I really, one thing like that I realized is I had a buddy who was, he was writing song every day. And for some reason there was just this thing in my mind, this block that I had put myself on myself that was like, um, I can't write, you know, more than one song a week or one song every couple weeks. And then I saw him writing a song every day and just thought, I can do that. I can write a song every day. And so I, I just realized like I was putting a limit on myself. And so I started doing it and realizing, yeah, I can, I can write like a, like a fun riff and go from there. Once the structure is down, once the riff is down, then I think the rest of the song kind of falls in place, which is nice. Um, wow. Okay. And then uh, a lot I have so many of, questions, I, but continue. Okay. Yes, I think like a lot of the uh, w- the way I view music now, especially songwriting, is it's like a muscle you have to keep yeah. fresh and keep worked out. Like, um, so you know, I'm afraid to be away from it for too long because yeah. I know that that muscle is going to atrophy, and and I'll have to bring it back up to speed, so to speak. Uh, so I just. I'm always writing. And damn, I, that's my favorite uh, that's, part. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ah, man, that's wow. Wow. You're right about the songwriting thing, I think absolutely. Especially like, you know, you aren't you aren't touring as much as a lot of, you know, people that are, you know, um, you know, doing the thing like you did with Attack Attack, which is you put a record out every 2 years and then you go nuts for touring for pretty much 2 years and then you do it again. You know, and a lot of people don't write in the in between. So you're absolutely right. Like you get back, like I get back to my computer after like literally a couple of years of making demos and I'm like, I have to update all my software and I'm like, oh, my like firewire doesn't like fit in my computer <laughs> anymore. You know what I mean? Like things like that. And it's crazy how, how you're right about the, the songwriting can just kind of deplete, you know, you can just lose that skill that you pretty much is your your livelihood, you know, and your most important thing you have in terms of musical skill. Right. Yeah. You, you got to kind of drop a couple stinkers after a while and then you like <laughs> get back up to speed. Yeah. Maybe know. that's what it is. Um, wow. Well, I got to ask a couple questions. First of all, when you say writing a song every day, do you mean like you write an entire song, like from start to finish? Or do you just mean like you kind of come up with like the verse, the chorus, the verse, the chorus, then maybe an idea for the bridge? Um, or are you talking about like a polished song? Uh, so as far as instrumentals, it's it's like pretty much a polished song. Uh, I do the vocals later. So I, I like basically stock up on a bit, bunch of instrumentals. Like, uh, you know, usually my I like to keep my albums like 20 minutes. So that's it's like a commute. You know, if someone's driving to work, <laughs> they can just listen to the whole album. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the time they get to work, they're pretty much done with it or you know, done with it. I should take your advice for this podcast, but we're way longer (laughs) than that. I know podcasts are different though. I I like long podcasts, but yeah, so I, I try to keep it short and usually the way this record came together was, uh, I actually, uh, realized I wanted to write another one just cause it, the previous one wasn't hitting me right. And I, I just wrote one song every day for a week and that's the seven songs. Um, huh. Wow. And so so much, when you say, go ahead, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're pretty much, the instrumentals are polished and are pretty much done by the time I start singing on them. Wow, interesting. And when you say scrapping a record, and I've heard about this happening, I, I forget what, 
there was a big band recently. I think, was it Panic at the Disco or something? Uh, some band like that said, "Oh, we like recorded this whole album and we just like scrapped it and started over." Um, and you hear bands doing that from time to time, and I always wonder, you know. And this is a conversation, a question for you, but also just a question. Just uh, I'm just thinking about this um, in the universe. When bands actually do that, and they do, you think they actually do that, or is it like <laughs> we kept like three or four of the songs, and then we kind of like got rid of the rest, or uh, you know what I mean? And then, and then of right. course the question is like, if you have a record that's actually like more or less finished, um, you know, or demoed like well, even where does that go? Right? Like, I don't know. Where, what yeah. did you do? What did you do with the stuff you scrapped? I, I it's just sitting on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> so you could I mean, put it you conceivably put it in another album next Friday if you wanted to. Yes, very true. But uh I mean, so I would say with the the previous record I had about 10 instrumentals and about 4 of the songs recorded vocally. Um so I mean it's it, it was on its way but I just kind of yeah. stopped it on the last like 15% of the the process. But yeah, I don't know about other bands, man. Like right, of I feel course. like it's a mixed bag, you know. Sometimes it's hard to know when to stop, too. I mean, like I went real far into that record before I was just like this ain't it, you know. It's just mm-hmm. got to I got to kill it and and move on. You didn't you know, keep, who knows? You didn't keep any of it. it. There wasn't there wasn't like a song or two that or even a part, a chorus. That you were like, "Okay, I got to work this into it cuz this is actually good." There must be have been something there of, you know, that you liked, but I get maybe not. Well, okay, so I wrote a, a bunch of the songs maybe like 5 months ago, and then I wrote another one and I was like, "It doesn't fit on this record." And it was the last one I had written for the the canned record. It yeah. wasn't even for the canned record really, though. But I wrote it and was like, this is way better <laughs> vibe than the other stuff. So I just kind of ran with that. Um, so that kind of like tipped me over to writing the new the new record. So when you're writing, do you are you sitting down? Like, I, I don't know how to picture it. Are you sitting on your couch with an acoustic guitar? Are you in the studio, like doing it all kind of in the in the box with with like plugins and software instruments? Or h- how do you kind of typically approach um, you know, let's say you have something in your head and you want to get it out. Yeah, I'm I'm very like I love the DIY nature of newer music now that yeah. like anyone can do it. And uh you pretty much have no excuse at this point to to write a great song and put it out. Um so with this record I have an iMac at my I have a studio um you know that's like just a studio. But then I have an iMac back at my house, and I just write, uh, wrote, and record all the stuff there. I actually went to re-record some of the guitar parts, and was like, "Nah, I just like the original, like, or the original demo versions better." So I just stuck with that. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's funny when it happens. It's like it's like sometimes you kind of nail this this um, you know tone or whatever you're going for, and then y- you try to go recreate it for like the real one. But these days, it's like, what is the real one anymore? You know, like you're just going to plug in like a guitar into kind of the same sort of preamp, you know, like run it through whatever. What's the difference? It's not like you're in a, you know, million dollar studio um, recording like a live amp anymore. Like no one's really doing that. No. Yeah. And you don't need to. I mean, it's cool if you want to do that. But like, yeah, I, I think... I'll write, I'll record something and I'll be in a certain type of mood and just the way I recorded it, I'm like, yeah, that's, that gets that mood across and I'm not really getting that across the time I'm trying to go back and redo it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very much so like, don't overthink it. You know, if you did it a certain way and it doesn't sound like crap, then it's probably fine and you're probably (laughs) going to go back to it anyways. So I did record, there's like, I recorded all of it over at my house and then brought it back and there was a couple parts that were out of tune i had to redo so you know but for the most part it's it's all the original demos and stuff like that awesome man cool well uh thanks for doing this um a lot to talk about you've had quite the career um you're not even very old are you if i'm 28 so you're 28 yeah no, it's it's not very old for for all you've done, um, you know, especially, um, you know, and, and I wouldn't mind going back and, and kind of starting at the beginning. Um, obviously, music has been, you know, a huge part of your life, if not your whole life, really. 
Um, how did that start? I know you're from Ohio. Um, what was it like, you know, for you growing up and, and how did you, you know, kind of find music with maybe through your family or I know maybe through your church? Um, I'm just kind of wondering how it all started. Yeah, my my dad uh, has been in bluegrass and Irish bands my entire life. So I've been going to see them play. What does your dad music. play? He plays everything. Five string banjo, guitar, oh, fiddle, accordion, bazooki, like sitern drums like he's 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 got like the whole thing and then like my grandpa was in like a big band and my grandma was in like the symphony orchestra so it's it's there's a lot of music in my past and stuff like that but i pretty much grew up around it and then um when i was in seventh grade i really wanted to skateboard and my dad bought me a guitar and i was kind (laughs) of like bummed about it but then i just started playing it and loved it and you know i've just kind of caught the bug and kept going and then obviously like you want to play so i started or i joined up with the tack people and we did the deal you know <laughs> yeah you did you sure <laughs> did um well that's a very uh abridged version of the story i'm sure um you know and i know you like long podcasts so i mean you speak as freely as you want to um but yeah man um i um i just all I can think of when I think of Attack Attack is just how young you guys were. And I know yeah. I know Caleb was maybe a bit younger than you guys were. Um, maybe a couple years younger. You know, so he's like on tour and he's like 15 or something. But still, yeah. I mean, you got all these young guys getting on a bus. Actually, you know, pretty early on, like some success to where you're on a, like a full-on bus on tour. Um, being Going across the country, places you've never been before. I just think that about that to myself and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> that must have been crazy. Yeah, I think what's interesting is like in retrospect, you realize how how uh, unique that situation was and how you're like, I yeah. can't believe that happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, Caleb was 14 when we got signed and I was 18. Um, I'd signed the record on my 18th birthday. So <laughs> right. it was like, you know, yeah, I was, I feel like, I always tell my wife, I feel like I've lived two lives, which is nice. Like I got to kind of do this whole wild thing with attack attack and it was awesome. And like, there's good and bad obviously with everything, but, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, got to kind of restart at age 20 and rebuild something new. But yeah, like I remember, uh, starting that whole thing up and, experiencing like the growth and it's just interesting to to look back on it and think about this stuff that you just were accepting as like yeah this is this just happens and you're like you look back on you're like no it doesn't just happen like it doesn't you know, happen it was, it was no. very special it was a very special thing that happened and, no yeah. i mean think of all the millions of people <laughs> in america millions of kids you know playing music and for some reason you know, you your guys' band is the one that's stuck, and I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of people that have come out of that. Caleb, for one, you know, um, Austin, um, you know, people have gone on to do you know special things in music. So, you know, when you guys got together as Attack Attack, um, was it clear that there was something special there, or was it just like <laughs> what, what, what was going on through your through your heads? I think the lack of self-awareness in in all of us, you know, like, especially when you're a teenager, Yeah. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you look back at something you did without thinking twice as a teenager and you're like, oh my God, I would never do that now. Like, right. um, or I didn't even know that that was crazy. So yeah, like I think about how much really a ton of talent we had in that band, you know, even just seeing what, Caleb and Austin have done out, you know, after the fact and like just how they've released really fantastic music, uh, afterwards. And you're like, damn, that all came from just one little band, which is nuts. You all learn together. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and when I think back about it, we, we did practice every day, you know, we, we would, we would hang out every single day. Like Caleb lived, less than a mile from the school that a lot of us went to. So me and him after school would go to just walk to his house and then everyone else would meet us up there. And we would just, 
if we were bored, we would just play music. That was just what we did. Right. So I, I was thinking about that and was like, that is that probably made us so tight as a band and we didn't even realize we were doing it. We were just having fun. Totally. Like, messing around on the drums and stuff like that. And his parents didn't really care if we were loud as hell all the time. So that was <laughs> very nice as well. I think you need that. Yeah, that's right. That's like when I was, um, when I was growing up in my bands too, like I have, I have an older sister and she's like seven years older than me. So when she went off to university, um, I like actually moved drums into her bedroom (laughs) and we would jam in in the bedroom, like on the upper floor of the house and the whole, I don't know how the neighbors didn't care. Like it was, you could hear it down the block, you know, and it was the same thing. We, we practiced every single day, like just playing like, you know, shitty Nirvana and Metallica covers and stuff. Like, I don't know. It's, it's really, it is really weird to look back when you're uh, on the stuff you did when you were a kid. And, and you know, I mean, did you, when you were a kid, did you think music was going to be what you were going to do? Um, I think that was the only thing I really cared, like really wanted to do. You know, I was into skateboarding for like a while, but I really just caught the music bug and I do have that kind of one track mind personality where it's if I like want to do something or I just become obsessed with it and that's all I think about and all I want to do. So when music came into my life and I experienced so many great things like fun shows and good friends and stuff like that, I I just for me, it was like I don't want to do anything else. Like I just don't care really that much about (laughs) anything else. Like I'm, I'm willing to do, and I, I don't even, I think for me too, it was like, I never really cared about getting big. I just wanted to have fun making music and writing yeah. it. Cause I just, just, it just, I have like an incredibly hyperactive mind. And so when I'm writing music, it's just so stimulating that I just don't really think about anything else and just kind of puts you in that moment. I love that. Absolutely. Well, you did get big, uh, very big. <laughs> Uh, over the two records that you did with Attack Attack and all the tours you did and everything. And one thing about Attack Attack was uh, it wasn't all, you know, um, love, especially from critics. Uh, It wasn't a a critically acclaimed band. You had a very core group of fans that that loved you guys, obviously, but there was a lot of um, negativity, let's just say. (laughs) Um, You could say that, yeah. And... And I know that that for you know Caleb and I are, are good friends. I know for him that was really hard. Uh, he was younger. He had you know a lot of issues you know just with um, uh, you know image, and he didn't have the thickest of skin. Um, how did that work for you? Uh, you were a little bit older, but but still, I mean, reading some of the scathing comments online and and all these things that people are are saying about you guys. That must not have been easy for someone who's only 18, 19 years old. Yeah, wait, okay, what was that website that was like, it wasn't as bad as Lamb Goat, but it was still kind of bad, but it posted like music news. It was like mm. pure... Oh, punk news? Punk news. I think it was. that was one or of them. Or Absolute Punk? Uh, absolute Punk is the one. Okay, That's yeah. the one. So yeah. when we got signed, I remember this very specifically. Um, I It was posted on there, and... I was reading through the comments and I was like blown away with how, I mean, this is like when the internet first really started being used often. So, you know, before that it was, you had shitty dial up and you didn't really care and whatever. But this was like when the internet, you know, we started using MySpace. Right. Like social media just started, sort of started getting big. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So like, I remember I was really excited. Holy crap, this website I've been going to for so long to get music news. Like, we're on here. That's amazing. And then I started looking through the comments, and it was like, you know, F this band. Hope these guys die in a car. You know, van flip, all that stuff. The old school, the old school trolls shit. So we, uh, I remember reading that and thinking to myself, like, you got to have a tough skin to, uh, to, to, if you, I don't know, for some reason people hate us. I didn't really understand why. I still don't really. Um, But I just was like, all right, this is what I'm going to have to deal with. I got to kind of flex the the gut muscles a little bit so that I can (laughs) take the the punches. And, you know, 
with with Caleb too, I think it's a different ball game. Like him, especially. I remember specifically when we moved him up to vocal, and he, he was he had told me like, you know, I'm kind of freaked out about this, and I because I I'm not a like a full on vocalist, but I think at the time when we made that decision, I was like, I know Caleb. If he decides to get good at something, he will be the best at it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I knew that there would be a period where he would struggle, but I knew that like once he got the being a front man and the vocalist stuff down, like he he would fly. And like, thankfully that really happened with him, which was awesome. But yeah, I, I, it's a different thing when you're just like screwing around playing guitar and not having to really like be up front a lot which was me more in the attack attack yeah. days. Like now that I'm playing with Bill Murray, like, and I'm up in the front, I'm like, Oh yeah, I understand why like singers are a little more nervous. Like than when I could just like headbang in the background and not really have to worry about anything. So I think with all the, the hate, it's, it's just a different level of hate that a, the lead singer gets <laughs> than like the guitarist. <laughs> Well, this is lead singer syndrome. So yes, um, <laughs> yes, this, this, that's right. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Um, yeah. So, so you left the band, um, and you're, I didn't, I couldn't find like an actual, you know, statement of what you said, but the news postings kind of said it was to focus on your relationship with God. Um, where are you at with that now? Um, I'm an edgy atheist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I just. That I mean that in sort of a multi-level way, like sure. where are you at with that now? As in, what was that decision like for you? Um, you know, I guess sure. Where are you at now with your faith? This is a question <laughs> too. Uh, yeah, I'll answer both of those. Uh, so, like, you know, you make such a big decision at that point, and it has. I don't know. I knew that that's what I wanted to do because as the band pressed on and we got bigger and stuff, I just was not very happy with life. Um, and so I think back then I would just attribute everything to some sort of spiritual motive, but there's just a lot of things where I just, my preference in life is I like writing music. I like routine. I like being home. Um, I don't like all the craziness of touring a lot. And, uh, so I just think that once I, after two years of doing that, I got a good picture of what the lifestyle was. And I was like, eh, I don't really, this isn't for me, you know, like it, it mm-hmm. is for a lot of other people love it, but I'm just like, I'm much, I'm very much so an introvert and like kind of being by myself and stuff like that. And so I realized like, you know, maybe just on a personal level, this isn't what I want to do. So, you know, I left and yeah. joined up with a with a church and stuff like that. And, you know, that's that's another story for another day. But I think, like, <laughs> as time goes on, the more the more I realize it, the more I just was like, yeah, you know, I just I have a certain personality and my personality wasn't really set up for that lifestyle. Totally. But, you know, to be fair, I don't know if it was a, you know, you say good picture. I don't know if it was a good picture of what that touring life really was like, right? Sure. Cause you get a bunch of teenagers in a van. Like, exactly. I, I mean, that's a, <laughs> or in a, or in a bus and it's like, here's all the like booze and w- girls and like no parents, like no parents, right. Is the biggest thing. Yeah. No one's used to that. It's a lot different than most bands that are, they're in their early twenties or, or even mid twenties sometimes when they start, you know, actually getting to a level of success where they have, you know, a tour manager and a, you know, someone handling their guitars and, and drum tech and a sound guy. They have all these like different layers where like you can sleep in till 4 PM, you know, if you want to kind of thing, right? Like you, you know, you're a rock star, you know, <laughs> and, and I don't think people can handle that when they're teenagers. And that's probably no. was probably more the problem than, than anything. Like you just burned out too fast. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, uh, teenagers don't have the greatest conflict resolution skills. Um, and so, you right, know, right. it was, it was very passive aggressive and, you know, like it's inst- as like a, you know, when you become a man and grow up, you're just like, Hey dude, uh, I didn't like when you did that. If we could 
find a way to not have that happen. You know, be direct <laughs> with someone instead of like holding it in and then exploding on them over some like small detail later. Right. On. Or or right. I mean, or you just know as an adult like grown ass man just like you don't do certain things you know what i mean like whatever it could be it could you know we're talking about just runs the gamut it can be anything from like hey they're trying to sleep like keep it down to like you know whatever like real serious you know sorts of shit so absolutely i mean that's that's just comes with the age and and you know i mean in a way attack attack was probably destined to fail you know just based on on that I agree with you. There's something to be said about slow and steady growth, especially with a band. You see it all the time. Like as I've been making music for and helping bands make music for like almost 10 years now. Yeah. I see, I see these bands just fucking skyrocket and they have no idea how to handle anything like that. And then they ultimately fail because there's, there's just no foundation that they've built beforehand yeah. to, to handle the amount of weight and pressure that comes with that job. But I, I do agree. Like as, as you can, as you get older, I feel like those things kind of even out and you like at, we touring with Bill Murray, you know, everyone's like 25 and up and it's radically different experience, you know, like, no, yeah, yeah, we're, we're just, it, it is a very different experience and you just have mature human beings that you're around instead of like completely unfettered free teenagers who can do whatever they want because they have crew, you know, they, they have, they, yeah, that was like, you know, something that that's, I don't think that level of freedom is good for someone that young. (laughs) Like, no, I don't hey, think so either. Hey, you can do whatever you want. You know, it's like, um, sick. I'm going to wake up at 5 p.m. and then I'm going to play this show and then I'm going to get hammered. I'm going to puke because I don't know how to deal with alcohol. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, go to bed. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the Netflix, the Dirt Motley Crue movie and they're picturing that. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that scene with Tommy Lee. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Um, yeah, it's worth a watch. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it really can be like that, though. You know, if you yeah. want it to be. And, you know, who's going to tell you no? I mean, maybe someone else in your band will eventually. But at the same time, you know, that's not the way it works. You know, you, you right. know you're, you're, you're on the same level and you do what you do. And, you know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's weird how you're so connected to these other people. And so like if someone makes a really stupid mistake or decision, it directly affects you right. because you're, you're with them all day, every day. And so, yeah, it, it's just a very interesting way to live life as a teenager and to try <laughs> and figure out. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think with how fast we grew up, we were destined to fail, but honestly, I, I like that, uh, you know, we just kind of like punched people for like two years and then dipped. <laughs> like, And it was just this kind of like relic of these this short window of time when we released music and that was the end of it. You know, like we didn't. I don't know. I like that. I think yeah. that's cool. It's like minor threat. <laughs> yeah. You, just, you get in and you get out, you know? And, and exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's yeah. That's great, man. So I want to get to some of the stuff you're doing now. Um, obviously, you're very successful producing all kinds of material for other acts and your own. Everything you do sounds absolutely incredible. Did you just learn the ropes from, you know, just kind of trial and error? Did you did you take any actual uh, courses? H- how does someone get so good at 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 recording, especially when you you know were on tour and stuff for all those years? Okay, so I I will preface that with like my first four years of producing, I or I would say first three years of producing, I was solidly unhappy with what I was putting out. Okay, it it took. I mean, like I wouldn't say it was horrible, but it took me a long time to get to a point where I released something. I was like, this sounds the way that I want it to. You know, like this sounds really good. So it took me a very long time, a lot of trial and error to, to get something solid down. Um, I would say 
as far as school, I didn't do any school, YouTube university for the most part. Right, but, right. Um, one thing that I will say is w- when Attack was in the studio with Joey Sturgis, I really just took a lot of the basics that he did and mimicked them. Um, and then throughout the years, like every, I'd say once a year, I hit up Joey and I'm like, just talk to him for a little while and, and he'll always drop some like, small tidbit of information that like changes my world so um he's he's been a he's been like probably my biggest influence as far as studio wise uh that i have and maybe like uh what you would call like a mentor so he he's helped me a ton and even like just recording those albums with attack attack with joey it's like this is how he does guitars this is how he does drums this is how he does vocals seeing that laying that foundation and also at the same time, you know, I was blown away when I first went. I was like, you don't use real amps. You don't use yeah. live drums. And like, how does it sound so good? You know, and, and he really changed the game for rock music as far as I'm totally. concerned. Where He was like, look, I'm going to make this huge rock record and I'm going to do it in a garage. And for me, it's like, I love that shit. I'm like, yeah. Oh, dude. absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so rock and roll <laughs> totally and, and you know that was what rise records was doing you know in the in those days they they were making records they had a couple producers you know i think of joey sturgis and i think of um chris crummett were both like grassroots guys you know basically just making you know re- yeah records in their garage kind of kind of records and making them cheap but just knowing what to do and, and it really was a game changer um i forget who it was I think it was Joey, actually, yeah, that made this record for, was it Before Their Eyes? And somebody oh, yeah. played me a song of it. I don't, I don't know when this came City out. City in the Snow Globe, bro? I, could, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't remember the title of it. All I remember about it was that somebody played it for me and was like, everything on this is, um, everything on this is like fake. Like, every, nothing is real. Like, the drums are, drums are fake, guitars are fake, the bass is fake, um, the only thing is the vocals, and there was like a like a slide guitar or something. And oh, I was like, "How I know do that you song. how do you fake a slide guitar?" You know, <laughs> like that. I was th- that when that when I heard that song, I was like, "Okay, literally anything is possible now." Like, I need to have a way more open mind because up to that point, I was like, "No, no, no, we're going to go borrow every Soldano and Bogner, you know, amp we can get." And we're gonna, you know, stack them all up and make take a cool picture in the in the studio. Like fuck Kemper. Now <laughs> I'm like, now I'm like, I just want to just give me a Kemper. I don't want to lug this these amps around, you know. And that's what you guys use. Yeah, we, our last couple of records were all Kemper. We we didn't Love use it. any any real amps. Dude, it's the future, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. I do think there was like a weird growing pains period for like amp sims and stuff where it did sound. Oh yeah, very digital. Oh, some of those like like early Axe effects were pretty bad. Oh yeah, and and even like for me, the thing that was interesting is like the Attack Attack guitar tones sound very digital, but they sound good to me. Like you know the ones that Joey's used. So I'm like, yeah, it sounds digital, but to me, I kind of like that sound because all the Prada records and stuff, or like the Prada records and the other stuff that I was listening to, basically all Joey Sturgis's stuff. Yeah. Um. Cause I just could every record he did. I was like, yes, this is yeah. what I want to do. He had a sound and, for sure. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, it sounds digital, but I'm, I like it. And, uh, so, but even now, like I'll listen, I have a couple amps Sims that I use that I cannot distinguish the difference between that and like a recorded amp. It's crazy. No, you, and you can't. And that, that's actually funny that how, how that happened for, for me. Cause I was the headstrong guy. I said, I think it was when we were making our record that came out in 2015. Yeah. We, we were putting out that record. So we were recording it, you know, in 2014. Um, and I, you know, and everyone's like, okay, we got a Kemper and we're going to, and I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> like we're going to, we're going to borrow that old Marshall JMP that we've used on all these records that we know sound great. And so we had, you know, that was one of the amps we had. And our our producer said, okay, Shane, I'm going to play you the JMP that we have here. And then I'm going to play you the Kemper version of the same amp. Okay, I'm not going to tell you which is which. So, you know, they recorded the same thing twice and, and blindfolded me, you know. 
and I and they played one and then the other and I said oh yeah that's definitely like I can tell that's definitely the um the real one like it sounds way better and I was wrong oh I was literally wrong because, and, and you know, whoever had, you know, uh, modeled that amp probably, you know, had a, maybe had a better cab or had better mic placement or, you know, took more time to get the tone or whatever. And it sounded better. And when that happened, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm all in on Kemper. Like for real, I'm all in. Dude. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like what those things can do. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's my favorite part about being alive when we are in the music history right now is like right. you can buy a Kemper and have any amp sound you possibly could imagine that would have cost, you know, five, $6,000 and you have, you have it. Um, I, I just think yeah. that's, it's amazing. And, you know, for me, like one of the things I love doing and one of the most important things I learned as a producer when I was young is I used to be like, the reason my shit sucks is cause I don't have the right gear. You know, the reason mm-hmm. this isn't good is because I don't have this amp or this interface or whatever. And then I was watching this interview of Drake's producer, Noah Forty, and uh, he he was like, we recorded this. You know, it was like one of my favorite songs, old school Drake songs. And he, they were like, we recorded this in the bathroom of a hotel. And I used <laughs> yeah. a MacBook Pro, like a 2010 MacBook Pro, and we released that song that night. And I was like, that's so cool. And that changed my mind. I was like, I've realized like I need to stop blaming the gear that I don't have and just start making stuff that's good with what I do have. And so that's what I started doing with my studio. It's like, I'm going to use cheap gear. I'm going to like not spend a ton of money on gear just to prove that I can do it. With that's cheap right. Gear. Yeah. Well, and, I uh, saw, I saw your tweet that said, Never trust a producer that shows you his gear and doesn't show you his mixes. Yeah, exactly, I saw you tweet yeah. that, and I like I, I, that kind of stuck to me when I was reading through your your uh, your Twitter, you know, um, uh, feed. I was like, "Huh, I like that." It's very true because you know, it, it's I, I forget what band it was. Someone played me something, and like the vocal sounded like just really like awesome, and I was like, "Oh, what mic is that?" Someone's like, "Oh, SM58." Like yeah. an SM58 on like on the vocals in like a studio like that's a live mic. You know, everyone knows the SM58 <laughs> that's like the gray mic every, literally everyone uses live, but that's not a studio mic, but I guess it can be. Yeah, I mean, especially you know, for me I'm a big believer in like if the song is truly good, yeah. it'll outshine like a bad mix. Um and or you know whatever, like a mediocre mix. Um Obviously, if both are dope, then that's what you, that's the, that's the prime. But I don't know. There's a lot of songs that I like that, you know, aren't necessarily the greatest mix, but then you like kind of get attached to it in a way or a lot of different ways. Like people do things that are not maybe the right way to do it. I, I just love stuff like that. I love the rebellious aspect of it. Like for this new record, I recorded all the guitars with a Miller light strat that my friends bought me for my birthday. (laughs) Miller, uh, Miller light. Yeah, dude. It's like a Miller light promo strat from (laughs) Indonesia. (laughs) And what's, what's so funny to me is I tested it against my American strat and I, I liked the Miller light strat better. I was like, well, crap. I mean, so that's what I use live. It's like a, it just says Miller genuine draft on it and (laughs) (laughs) that's ridiculous i got it for free so yeah i've been like (laughs) yeah i've been slowly trying to like get my gear as cheap as possible so if anyone steals our gear on tour i'll be like eh whatever (laughs) you know what's a great example of that too is i'm sure you've been to nashville a few times and you know Mm -hmm. when you're in nashville and you just walk down whatever that main street's called you know where there's like a band playing in every single bar you know, like you take five steps and there's another band playing like in the window and you'll just like walk in and, and, you know, grab a Miller light in, in each bar. And these, these guys playing or girls playing, they all rip. And sometimes you'll be, you'll be like, is that guy playing a Squire through like a PV combo? And it sounds amazing. And it's like, that's just the, you know, the proof right there that like, you don't need 
amazing stuff to have amazing sound. It's, it's, it's all you, it's your skill. And, um, you know, and, and that, that's like, I love seeing those guys in Nashville play. Same dude. I love like, you, I think John Mayer could play any guitar and make it sound good. Even if like the intonation was messed up, whatever. Like yeah. if you're a good enough player, you can pretty much overcome anything like that. Like well, yeah. you could give John Mayer a $50 guitar and he's going to make it sound you know, pretty dang good. Totally. Maybe not as good as a $5,000 guitar, but like for what it needs to be. Yeah. Like I think that you can totally overcome not the greatest gear. Uh, and to be honest, I think I could see John Mayer totally getting behind the Miller Lite Stratocaster. I could see Dude. him playing that. I can picture <laughs> that in my head. I, I have like a, an unhealthy love for that guitar. Like I just, I, I can't get enough of it. It sounds so good to me. Well, never, <laughs> you got to take care of that thing. Cause if that's, if you lose that one or it gets stolen, you're never getting another one. That's a one of a kind right there. <laughs> right. You're going to have to hunt down the promo person for Miller light to be like, Hey, so I got an odd question. Um, you know, those how many of those guitars did you make? I need another one. So you I'm looking on a, reverb right now. Get a backup. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, break dude. a string. You break a string on stage. You're like, hang on a second. Guitar tech brings you a, <laughs> Another Miller Lite guitar. <laughs> I couldn't um, find anything on Reverb. I'll have to keep looking. But yeah, yeah. Like, well, this, you know, they say the same thing about Jimi Hendrix. You know, I mean, Jimi Hendrix was playing like he literally just turned the strings around on his guitar, so the guitar was completely not intonated, right? Like you know, the you can't intonate a guitar that's played the wrong way, from what I understand. But it didn't matter because Hendrix was so good, you know, at at just, just he could play in tune, like you know. He's, they said he was the only one that could play a tremolo bar like in tune. I truly think like if you just have the mindset of like I'm fucking doing this no matter what, you'll just any dumb thing that could potentially get in your way, like oh this guitar's intonation's out of tune or whatever, or it's messed up. It's like well then when I go to the the twelfth fret, I'll just bend it a little bit or like I'll tune it <laughs> yeah. a little lower. Like right. you just find a way around it, like and find a way to work around it until you can get something better. But yeah, like those things, you know, shouldn't stop you if you really want to go for it. And a lot of those great guitarists didn't come from like rich families, you know, like yeah, yeah. they just came from nothing and, and had to use what they had. And I think honestly, for me, I like the idea of limiting myself, uh, as far as gear, because it, forces me to come up with creative ways to like figure out how to do stuff yeah absolutely man i love that i love that approach and um i'm sure i'm gonna play a clip of you know i'll play a song at the end of the podcast and uh people will hear your skills uh i think the song i'm gonna play is the one that has the bitchin saxophone solo in it (laughs) can we talk about that is that real is that real saxophone i hope so yeah yeah uh so I was just, I was finishing up the song, um, and there's this kind of like heavier part and it just, dude, it was this like, I don't know if it was a voice in my head, but it was just this feeling like this needs to be a sax solo. (laughs) And so one of my buddy's brother, I had heard that he played sax. I'd never heard him play. And I was like, dude, you want to have him record something on this? And like 10 minutes of recording and we came up with that and was like, yep, that's it. Let's go. Wow. Just had like a a fifty seven on him and and yeah, we we went with it and he was like a shredder, so oh yeah, I I feel like I got lucky with that point. But within like the first five seconds, I was like, oh, he's amazing, so we're good. And then once the solo was like, I put it in and it was it was just perfect. And yeah. I was it definitely was like, this is what the song needed, and it just sounds so cool and unique to me. Absolutely. So the record is out on Friday. Uh, well, the record will probably be out when people hear this. Um, but uh, are you planning on doing some touring, some shows? Um, I know you're, a, you know, you're a bit of a homebody, but what's the plan there? So yeah, we like the guys that I have play with me. So obviously, I'm doing all the writing and stuff and recording. But I have like buddies that play with me, and they all have full time jobs and girlfriends and stuff like that. So. 
we we don't go out a ton, but I think the schedule we're doing right now is like four days every other month, and so we'll cover like a lot of ground doing that for the next you know however long we want to do like basically i'm I'm probably gonna be playing this stuff till I'm like till I can't anymore, so you know if we just keep that schedule up for like fifty years we'll we'll get everywhere. <laughs> but, absolutely, uh, absolutely do you find it's a lot of um attack attack fans that have grown up a little bit and have discovered your music coming out or is it is it new fans or is it just does it run you know does it run the gamut there's definitely the the mature scene kid is a definite factor there you yeah that the the job the scene kid with the job um the job had to get the babysitter for the kids yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly so there's some of that and then there's some people that like they liked attack attack and then randomly found out that I was in that after they had liked Bill Murray. They're like, Holy crap, you're the same guy. Right. Uh, and then other people who never heard of attack attack and are, you know, younger or whatever, but it's kind of pretty random, uh, as far as people, but yeah, so we, we play, I think we're going out, in like a couple weeks to like Chicago, Indianapolis and Cleveland. So that'll be a good time. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, I hope people can listen to this, can catch, uh, catch you on tour. And uh, I'm sure after people hear your tunes, they're going to be like, okay, I need this. And if they don't, <laughs> if they're not familiar with, with your band, you, they can go back and listen to eight albums worth of material. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's not every day you, you hear about a new band that you might not know about and then go, oh, they have eight albums. It's like, yeah, it's like just it's like when you're 13 and you find out about Black Sabbath or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's just what I love to do. And, you know, it's like, yeah, let's uh, let's just write as much music as possible. I think the way the way I view it is I want to do at least two releases every year Um to maybe one album and one like cover thing. But recently I've just been doing two albums a year um, because right when the next one's out, I'm kind of, or right when the album drops, like a week later, I'm like, let's go. Let's do the next, let's get this next one. Go. I actually already have yeah. stuff written for the next album. So we're getting it, dude. And do you just put, <laughs> do you just put the stuff out yourself? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, uh, do you know Jared Alonji? Of course. Yeah, he he started this media company called Bocato and he just kind of like helps promote the album and stuff and so I've putting it out under that name for this one. But you know, it it's not really a record label. He's just kind of like helps you when you need help and all that stuff. But uh yeah, for the most part I I put out all the albums myself and distribute it through DistroKid and all that. Yeah, and I guess I mean with sheer volume comes a little bit of cash your way, right? I mean, you know, it it pays the bills, keeps the lights on maybe. Dude, yeah, I mean, what's crazy is like seeing how the band's grown even in the past like 6 months, it's been nuts. And so as more and more time goes, more and more of my income is just from Bill Murray. Um, which is cool. Like, yeah. cuz I I made the project just to have fun with it and just, I just wanted it to be like this is everything that I would want exactly the way I would want it. Um, so yeah, I mean, as time goes on, the more and more I make from Bill Murray, the more time I'll put into it and invest into yeah. it. It's a beautiful, well, maybe three records a year, a beautiful thing. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and you have, you have a couple other projects. I did three. Wow. Well, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you still writing a song? Are you still trying to write a song every day? Uh, it'll usually ramp up. Like when I, so I'll get like, an inspiration for what I want the record to be. And then it's just like all comes right after that. But I usually try to take a little bit of a break right after I put the record out, like a couple weeks or something. And then I'll start going on to the next one. It's like that scene in elf where they finish Christmas celebrate for like five seconds. And then they're like, time to get ready for next Christmas. I'm like, that's kind of <laughs> how I am. I love that. And you have a couple other projects too. I want to touch on before I let you go the March ahead and chair, which are uh, both pretty cool projects and very different. Uh, are you still? Are those still ongoing? Uh, are you still working on those at yeah. all? Yeah, I just played a chair house show uh, last week or on sat- last Saturday, and then we're gonna probably both of the girls in that band are like graduating college right now, so they're busy as hell. Right. Um, 
And so once they're out of like finished up, then we'll probably be able to pick it back up once they move to nine to five life. And then, um, the March ahead, I think we're doing an album this year, which is actually the first album we've ever done. <laughs> Cause it's, it's, uh, just been like EPs and singles and stuff. But yeah, I, me and a couple buddies write for that. And we were just like, let's, let's just do an album, man. Let's, let's, uh, knock one out. So awesome. that should be coming out maybe this year or next year. But yeah, I just try to, I don't know. I'm like, if I can write as much music now, I'll be really grateful that I didn't leave anything on the table when I'm older. I just get to enjoy it all and listen to it all <laughs> when I, when I can't, when <laughs> so I can't you listen, So you, so to answer that question, you, you do listen to your own music. Probably more than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that you just <laughs> fully admit to that. Yeah. I, I like it. And it's cool as like this time goes on, there's more records to listen to. So you kind of are in like a different mood and you throw on a different record. So yeah, I there listen to go. that and like Billie Eilish pretty much and, and <laughs> okay. country Western music. Those are my three genres I've been rocking super hard now. You got to get, uh, you got to get your dad to play, uh, play some uh, banjo on there dude i know i i always joke with my friends like when i turn 50 bill murray's just gonna be straight up country (laughs) (laughs) just like we're all gonna have like beer bellies and just hanging out playing like chill country jams (laughs) you know but but bluegrass is so good like um you know there's a lot of you know similarities to bluegrass and punk rock like you know the same kind of fast beat i was talking to tom from bigwig about that because he he's a you know, you know old punk band and now he's playing bluegrass in nashville and like there is a lot of similarities you know between like the with just with the tempo oh yeah dude bluegrass is is so awesome i mean i grew up on bluegrass because my dad plays banjo so mm-hmm. yeah like he he uh he has bluegrass bands and stuff like that and it's it is like super they they just want to go fast dude yeah i love it i love it man well dude thank you so much um for taking the time anything else to add before i let you go uh just check out the record if you want if not that's okay too um you know you do what you want it's called wet milk comes out on friday Um, all right yeah yeah that's pretty much it i love it all right well johnny thanks so much man thank you so there it is with johnny what a good dude. And I absolutely love that he plays a Miller Genuine Draft guitar. He sent me a picture, you know, for the promo and stuff, and it's him holding it. So whatever you're listening to this on, maybe that picture is sitting right there. If not, check out the Instagram for the photo. It is uh, it's just so good, and I just love the reason that he uses that guitar. It's so amazing. I wish him all the best, and you make sure that you go check out that Bill Murray stuff. And I got to say, man, so, you know, I pick the music for the show every single week and I don't take it lightly. Uh, sometimes I spend a ridiculous amount of time picking what I'm going to play at the end of the episode, but also what I'm going to play, you know, for that little clip that happens be- between the intro and when the interview starts. And sometimes I spend like an hour. It's ridiculous how much time I spend because I really want that to be perfect. And I want people to get a good introduction to what this career is all about. So I went back and I listened to a lot of Attack Attack this week. I don't understand the hate, man. They have some pretty damn good riffs, some pretty good songs, and Johnny's a hell of a singer, man. So is Caleb, of course. So I don't know. But anyway, if you missed Attack Attack, it might be worth checking out. But hey, let's finish this off with a track. Life is good, and yes it is. Here it is by Bill Murray on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love, and I'll see you next week with a live episode. Make sure you're subscribed.
Yeah.